Let's turn to Revelation chapter 5, uh, verse 8 through 14. Revelation chapter 5, verse 8 through 14. Let's give our attentive listening uh, to the reading of God's holy and inerrant word. And when he had taken the scroll, the four living creatures and the 24 elders fell down before the lamb, each holding a harp and golden bowls full of incense, which are the prayers of the saints. And they sang a new song saying, worthy are you to take the scroll and to open its seals for you were slain. And by your blood, you ransomed people for God from every tribe and language and people and nation. And you have made them a kingdom and priests to our God, and they shall reign on the earth. Then I looked and I heard around the throne and the living creatures and the elders, the voices of many angels, numbering myriads of myriads and thousands of thousands, saying with a loud voice, worthy is the lamb who was slain to receive power and wealth and wisdom and might and honor and glory and blessing. And I heard every creature in heaven and on earth and under the earth and in the sea and all that is in them saying, to him who sits on the throne and to the Lamb be blessing and honor and glory and might forever and ever. And the four living creatures said, Amen. And the elders fell down and worshiped. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Let's pray and dive into God's word for us this morning. Our Heavenly Father, uh, we thank you for your word. And we trust in the, the sufficiency of your word to speak to every individual in this room and also watching online. Uh, wherever we may be coming from, God, um, let your word uh, speak into our hearts and give us ears to hear, uh, hearts that can receive this uh, so that we will be transformed, changed, encouraged, perhaps healed and restored uh, to, to the people that, that you want us to be. Speak to us, Lord. Uh, we're listening. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. We're resuming our, our series in the book of Revelation this week, finishing chapter 5. And um, starting next week, uh, in, in the month of December, we're actually going to take a, a month-long break and focus our, our teaching on Advent and Christmas. And so this is going to be the last sermon on Revelation you're going to hear this year, and then we're going to resume uh, when it comes to the, the new year. And chapter 5... Um, ends with really a song and and in fact it's three songs it's a song filled very melodic chapter and so that's what we're going to be focusing on today uh what what these songs are all about and close off chapter five three things i want to highlight for you uh, there, there are a lot of things but just want to point to three things here when it comes to these songs uh point number one what these songs say to us about our humanity okay, what these songs say about humanity uh, point number two what these songs say about the Lamb. Point number three, what these songs say about the church. Okay, uh, What these songs say about humanity, what these songs say about the Lamb, and what these songs say about the church, these three. Okay, So point number one, what these songs say about humanity. Notice uh, in all these three uh, songs, living creatures are, are included as part of 
the singers, the choir, if you will. Uh, verse 8, you have the four living creatures that represent all living, animate objects. And in verse 11, you, you literally have the living creatures, all living creatures. Verse 13, it's even more explicit. Every creature in heaven and on earth and under the earth and in the sea and all that is in them. Okay. Why this kind of emphasis on all creatures singing? Because the point is, in, in their singing, we learn about creation. We learn about the purpose of creation. Um, as in, in what they're singing about, we discover what they are about. And what are they about? Uh, in a word, they're about worship. Worshiping is what they're about. All creation here, they're, they're unified by songs about the one ultimate object of worship. It's, it's the one object of their praise. It's the one reason they're celebrating. It's leading them to worship. Uh, remember from the earlier part of the vision, the Apostle John is peering through, he's, he's looking into the doorway of heaven, right? And because this is a symbolic vision, this is an apocalyptic vision, this is not like a screenshot of literally what's, you know, what you would see if you look in the door of heaven as if there is a door to heaven, a physical door. This is to tell us John is seeing what is chiefly, mainly um, taking place in heaven. And according to this vision, what's chiefly taking place in heaven is worship. Um, and that doesn't mean when you're in heaven, all you would do is do this, kind of just float around on wings and play on harps kind of thing. It means when you enter through the doorway of heaven, you will have found the one thing that you would consider to be truly worthy of your worship and, and worthy of celebrating from the bottom of your heart for a million years. Uh, you, you would have considered yourself to be the lucky few who have found it. This vision is telling us that's what we're all about, worshiping that one thing. And, and this is telling us this is what we all are about. And, I, and by that, I mean not just Christians or religious people. By this, I mean human beings. This is what all creation is about. We're about worship. Worship is not something religious people do. It's what humanity does. And remember the words of the late atheist writer, David Foster Wallace, quote, in the day-to-day -day trenches of adult life, there is actually no such thing as atheism. There's no such thing as not worshiping. Everybody worships. The only choice we get is what to worship. And the compelling reason for many, maybe choosing some sort of God or spiritual type thing to worship is that pretty much anything else you worship will eat you alive. If you worship money and things, if they are where you, if they are where you tap real meaning in life, then you will never have enough. Never feel you have enough. Worship your own body and beauty and sexual allure. You will always feel ugly. And when time and age start showing, you will die a million deaths before they finally plant you. On one level, we all know this stuff already. It's been codified as myths, proverbs, cliches, epigrams, parables, the skeleton of every great story. The trick is keeping the truth up front in daily consciousness. Right, this is David Foster Wallace, the, the late atheist author and writer, saying worship is not just some religious slice of humanity. It's all humanity. It's what we are, not what we do. It defines us. Worship defines us. 
And if we attach ourselves, therefore, to the wrong thing, it can also misdefine us, misdirect us, and, and even ruin us. It can eat us alive if you worship the wrong thing, if you attach yourself to the wrong thing. Um, to put slightly differently, to use maybe some, you know, the Christian lingo that we often use, um, when we do our daily devotionals, we talk about the importance of doing daily devotionals. When you miss out on daily devotionals, we, we tend to think, I should have done it, but I missed it. I missed the day of doing daily devotionals. And we think, I'm not daily devoted to anything, when in fact, the question is, if you're not daily devoted to God, what are you daily devoted to? We're all daily devoted to something. And the, the point of cultivating the discipline of doing daily devotionals is to be daily devoted to God and not to something else. And just because you missed your quiet time or, or your, your reading of Scripture does not mean you're not devoted to anything that day. You are devoted to something. just may not be God. Here, when all the saints, elders, and angels are singing, worthy are you, right? All blessing and all glory, all power belong to you. They're essentially saying, we have found the ultimate object worthy of our worship and devotion. And our hearts are satisfied. This is making us come alive. Not, this is not eating us alive. This is coming us, making us come alive. Because no longer are they captivated by things unworthy of, of their worship. They're not captivated by things that break their hearts, things that cannot satisfy. They're not controlled by money or success or pleasure or power or recognition, things that, things that do eat us alive, things that make us greedier, more selfish, more controlling, more consumeristic, more addicted, or just plain busy. They're freed from all this. Now they're just worshiping God who satisfies them at the bottom of their hearts. That's what these songs are about. And that's what worship is meant to be, to satisfy us. And these songs are, are, are given to us today to invite us to, in a sense, rediscover what, what our lives are really about. They're here to remind you that you're, you're meant for more. You're meant for more than, than success, recognition, the, the temporary pleasures and highs of this life, uh, they're, they're confirming what you, in a sense, know deep down inside, that you were made for a glory that's undying, unfading. They're inviting you into a soul-satisfying, intimate, personal, and eternal relationship with God. That's what these songs are doing. And you and I can actually choose into this it's, it's as if we can enter through that doorway to heaven in advance by worshiping this God today, by singing these heavenly songs today, songs about God, songs about God being worthy of our worship, worthy of our, our devotion. Worship it, it is happening and will happen on both sides of that door. The only question is, which side of that door will you be and what or who will you be worshiping? And, and is, that, is that being worthy of your worship? Is, is that object worthy of your, your devotion? And here we have one who is worthy, right? Uh, one who is worthy of opening the scroll calling you to worship him. And remember what that means, right? The one being worthy to open the scroll, right? It means the one worthy of actualizing what's written in the scroll, right? 
promise of new creation, the renewal of humanity, right? The one who can open the scroll can bring that about. He can bring final judgment that rights all wrongs. He can make all things right and all things new and everything will be the way they're supposed to be. What was the, in contrast, the, the secular vision of the end of the world, right? The heat death of the universe. Everything and everyone is forgotten. Everything fades to nothingness. Nothing is worthy enough. Nothing is powerful enough, glorious enough to last, to abide. Everything fades to nothingness. John, when he caught a glimpse of that, that vision of God being a no-show at the end and no one was there to open the scroll, he wept, right? He was, he was suffering from this existential depression, weeping that no one is there to make things new, to, to heal, to restore, to bring new creation. But now, now that the one who is worthy is here, the one who is able to open the scroll is here. Weeping turns to singing, right? To rejoicing, to worship. And and this is important. If if you're here and you're you're wondering if any of this is true and you're seeking, think about this. If what satisfies you more existentially is is not the secular vision of the end of the world, but this biblical vision of everything wrong being made right, every evil being removed, and every, everyone finding their delight in someone worthy, worthy of worship, then, then in a sense, this vision isn't just, this song isn't just coming from heaven down to us. This is, a, this is your heart cry from below being lifted up to God like a prayer. You're in a sense harmonizing with what heaven is singing. You are confirming from your heart this reality that God is showing us in heaven. All the saints, all the others, all creation finding the object of their worship in God and therefore being satisfied, therefore being restored. That's point number one. This is what these songs are about. It tells us what we are about. We're about worship. And we have to find the right object worthy of our worship. Second point, these songs tell us something about the lamb and and actually these songs are all about the lamb uh, verse 8 four living creatures 24 elders fall down before who the lamb and they're singing in verse 9 worthy are you to take the scroll to open his seals why for you the lamb were slain and by your blood you ransomed people for god and same thing in verse 11 all living creatures elders along with thousands and thousands of angels sing worthy is the lamb who was slain to receive power and wealth and wisdom and might and honor and glory and blessing right to you are all things that's literally what they're saying and then as if there was this final encore in verse 13. To him who sits on the throne and to the Lamb be blessing and honor and glory and might forever and ever. Right. These songs, as they're being repeated, they're kind of crescendoing with more added to the choir, with, with a louder voice. But each time, the theme doesn't change. It's still about the lamb. It's, it's the lamb. It's the lamb. It's the lamb. It's all about the lamb. All blessing, all power, all honor, all glory to the lamb. Why? Why this focus on the lamb? 
And the answer is really simple. It really is simple. It's because those who are singing love the lamb. <laughs> They love the lamb. Why is that? Because they believe with all their heart that the lamb who was slain was slain for them. They believe with all their heart this lamb that was slain was slain for them. That's what worshiping God really means. It means you actually believe this, that God Almighty himself has gone the distance of being slain for you on your behalf to save you and, and not because you were deserving. It was out of his own good pleasure. And, and, and you just find that to be marvelous. You just find that to be incredible And you just find that to be worth singing about and singing new songs about. That's what worshiping God means. You love the Lamb. Now, you might wonder, and this is a very reasonable question to ask, why would God need to be slain, go to that extreme uh, for us? What is the connection between drawing close to God and the throne of God and Him being slain, and this is crucial. If, if you, in a sense, if you don't know why God had to be slain for you in order for you to draw near to him, it's safe to say you do not know God at all. Uh, you see, when, when anybody first encounters God in any genuine way, they must see how infinite he really is, how great and glorious he is, how righteous, how holy he is, how beautiful and lovely, honorable he is, how wise he is, and at the same time, how we, how you are not that. <laughs> you have to be able to see that. If anybody thinks, yeah, I, I met God, and you know, turns out he's, he's just like me. He, he's, he, he and I are actually quite compatible. You know, he, he, just, he just confirms everything I feel and everything I desire and doesn't offend me in any way. I don't offend him. He doesn't need to correct me in any way, rebuke me in any way. That person has not encountered God. They only encountered a figment of their own imagination, their own personal and cultural imagination. If a A truth is timeless. And that's what truth is, right? One plus one is not four like a thousand years later, right? Truth is truth, and it's timelessly true. And, and if, if truth is indeed timeless, then, then wouldn't, wouldn't it necessarily contradict something about our time and offend something within our slice of history rather than confirming everything neatly and perfectly about our time and our culture and our society. That's not truth. That's a figment of our cultural imagination. If, if, you've, if you've truly encountered truth, it will, it will offend you at some point, it will correct you at some point, it will rebuke you at some point. That's how you know you've encountered it. How do you know you've encountered God, the Almighty, the Infinite, the Holy, the Wise, the Powerful? It's when you feel like, That's not me. And, and 
you see that in the scriptures, in both the Old Testament and the New, you see that in Isaiah, in his encounter with God. He doesn't say, what a warm, fuzzy feeling I get. He says, woe is me, for I am ruined, for I am a man of unclean lips. When Peter first encounters Jesus and Jesus is on his boat, Peter says, depart from me, Lord, for I am a sinner. Genuine encounter with God implies you will find his holiness utterly incompatible with your sinfulness. His infinity, eternality, incompatible with your finitude and your fallibility. That's what must precede every genuine encounter with God. His worthiness, our unworthiness. Now, is that just depressing religion talk? Uh, and why would anyone seek after God if this is the case? The first thing you, you realize when you draw close to God is how unworthy you are. Why would anyone want to draw close to God? In case you're wondering that, let me remind you of the, the first point that we just made. Seeking after something worthy of our worship is not a religious phenomenon. It's a human, it's a human phenomenon, and therefore that deficit of glory is there. Whether you search after that glory in God or in other things, this is something we all search after, something to tap into in order to draw glory, draw meaning, draw self-worth from. The non-believer might say, no, you know, I don't feel any of that. I don't feel any such deficit of glory. That's why I'm perfectly fine with not going to church. I'm perfectly fine with not worshiping. Ah, yes, but you're not so fine with not working, are you? Not working so tirelessly to prove yourself, to gain recognition, to acquire success, to bolster your sense of self-worth through your performance. You're not so fine with that are you? You turn your heart over to work. You give your heart over to success recognition. So you can say, having worked your way up, worked your way up the, the ladder, you can say, I'm good enough. I'm worthy. I'm acceptable. But see, that's what worship is. Worship is finding rest in what is worthy. It's, it's, it's laying down your burden. That's what worship is. And and you're simply doing it in something with something else and not God. Now, if we're just as unworthy before God, why come to him? Here's why. Because when you give your heart over to God, this God, you don't hear him say, work your way up to me. You don't hear him say, help yourself and then I'll help you. Listen, listen to the saints and the elders. They're not just singing about God's majesty and wisdom and glory and power and might and how high he is, are they? They're singing about God being slain. God made low. God being buried in the tomb. <laughs> That's what they're singing about. Not a God who says, come up to where I'm at and I'll accept you. A God who says, I'll descend to where you are to receive you and bring you up to where I am. That's what they're singing about. The Lamb of God was slain. That's why the heavenly songs are all about the Lamb. It's not about, look what I've achieved, look what I've accomplished, look what I possess, 
Look what I've experienced. Look at all the pleasures and all the highs I have in my life. The song's about the lamb because their self-worth, their glory, their boasting is entirely found in the lamb. That's all they sing about. And in the lamb, they, they realize the, the two wonders, right? My worth and my unworthiness together as we sing in our hymn. Two wonders here that I confess, my worth and my unworthiness. On the one hand, we find in the presence of God, in the presence of the Lamb, that we are more unworthy than we ever dare to admit. At the same time, we find that we're also more, more forgiven and made worthy than we ever dare to hope more sinful than we ever dare to believe, but more forgiven and justified than we ever dared to hope. That's why they loved the Lamb of God. That's why their songs are all about the Lamb of God. That's why our songs are not about, Lord, here's what I've accomplished, here's what I've achieved, here's what I'm offering to you. Our songs are primarily about what Christ has done for us. We're called to worship, not so we can first offer something worthy to God, but, but we're called to worship to receive from God something He is offering to us. We're here to sing about the Lamb who has not given us a ladder for us to ascend, but to show us the ladder that He descended with. He's here to show us His grace mercy, his love and forgiveness. And that's what our, our songs ought to be, and that's what our worship ought to be about, and that's where our rest ought to be. Lastly, uh, these songs also tell us something very important about the church, and here's, here's where I'd like to close with some practical, a couple practical points, because you know, does all this singing lead to anything practical? Absolutely. Uh, verse 10. I want to highlight something for you in verse 10 where it says, And you have made them a kingdom and priests to our God. Okay, what does that mean? What does it mean that he has made us priests? This means that we as the church, people of God who have been found by Christ and now find their worth in Christ, we have become now his, his priesthood, his intermediaries, sent into the world. Okay. Uh, we don't have, like I mentioned earlier, we don't have human priests who, who usher us into a physical temple anymore, right? The ironic, the ironic uh, priesthood in the Old Testament. Uh, when Jesus died on the cross, the curtain in the physical temple was torn in two. He's abolishing temple worship. Christ is now our forever Aaron, our greater Aaron, our high priest, and his offering is our ultimate once and final offering not, not to be repeated and and no temple worship is is needed only Christ but having done away with the ironic priesthood he ushers in the priesthood of Christ the new priesthood of Christ and that's where we belong and in 1 Peter chapter 2, the Apostle Peter uses this language of, of being the priesthood of Christ to make two very important practical points. One, he says 
since you are now part of the royal priesthood of Christ, he says, live this life as sojourners and exiles on the earth. Meaning, don't live here as if this will be your home. Don't live and invest and save up and hoard as if this is it for you. This is it for your children. It's not. You're sojourners and exiles. You're not permanent residents of the here and now. Your citizenship is in the new creation, the new heavens and the new earth. And that means while you're here, you're missionaries, you're priests. On a rather short term, I, was, I would add, one lifetime, blink of an eye, and that'll be it. This isn't your home. This is your mission field. That's what being a priest unto Christ means. You don't hold on to your, your possessions and your achievements and your wealth so tightly. You, you actually hold on to them quite loosely for the sake of Christ, and you expend them and you use them for his mission. And second thing Peter says is very closely tied to this is, therefore, keep your conduct as priests of Christ. Keep your conduct among Gentiles, those who do not know God, honorable, that they may see your good deeds. They may see it and glorify God on the day. So when you go from being a permanent resident here to shifting your, your paradigm to, to being a sojourner in exile, you're ready to be a missionary, your family's ready to be a missionary. Now, now your neighbors are people you don't take things from, you don't consume things from, you don't compete with, they're people you serve. So they see, they see the good work that you do and give glory to your God in heaven. God's mission of grafting more and more people into the kingdom of God this way is continuing through, through you, through me, through the priesthood of Christ. In the Old Testament, it was through physical, national Israel. In the New Testament, it's through spiritual, eternal Israel, the church. And this was always God's dream of bringing together one people from all the nations, all the tribes, all the languages to make Abraham the father of not one but many nations. That was a covenant that he made with Abraham, that you'd be a father of many nations that's that's what's coming true in verse 9 from every tribe and language and people and nation one people one kingdom not two not israel plus gentiles one kingdom one nation from every tribe language and nation that dream will come true and that means for now we have to live this out. We have to live out God's global dream. That's what mission is. It's, and, and it's meant to be realized through you and me. That's why we're still here, to continue to live out God's mission to the world, God's dream for the world. Uh, let me share some interesting um, stats with you. Uh, this very week, on a typical Sunday morning, around the world, okay, here's what's going on. Uh, there are more Christians gathered to worship today in China than there is in America. Did you know that? At this very moment, the fastest growing church, the, the church that's growing at the fastest rate in the world is the underground church in Iran. Did you know that? The largest church in London today is African. Did you know that? 
The largest congregations in Texas are Hispanic. Did you know that? The largest PCA churches in the U.S. are Korean. Shout out to Koreans. What's the point? These stats should tell you two things, at least two things. One, you have to, you have to disassociate at this point Christian with, with Anglo-American because that's no longer accurate. Uh, to do that would make you appear ignorant, right? So, so don't do that. Don't associate Christian with Western America. It, that's, like, that's, that's like equating Chinese food with Panda Express. Okay. It's like, how dare you, right? How, how dare you? It, it's such a limited view of what it really is. The church is global. If anything, the church is Asian, African, South American. It's global. Second, the more important thing you should note is God's mission is continuing in a way that you don't really notice around the world. And that should encourage you to continue living out God's mission for you in a way that may not be noticed by the world in the here and now, right here, right where you are. Continue to live out God's global mission to the world right where you are, meaning, you know, continue to sing these heavenly songs about the Lamb, but not just with your lips, but through your life, through your, through your family life, through your marital life, through your work and through your studies. And, and you say with the, with the saints, as for me and my house, we will serve the Lord, we will love our neighbors, we will be missional, we will be sacrificial. Right. Sing of your God who, who frees you to be a giver through your giving. Sing of your God who empowers you to love unconditionally and unequally through your loving, difficult people in your life. Sing of your God who enriches your heart and cleanses your heart through your life of purity and holiness. Sing of your God through your life, not just with your lips and in this way you you fulfill your duty as as the priesthood of Christ sing heavenly songs here on earth through your living through your serving and through your giving through your sacrificing and let that draw your neighbors in so they would join in the song and they would be grafted in to the kingdom of God May God help us do this each and every single day until, until our, our time of exile runs out, until our, our time of sojourning here comes to an end and we're, we're on the other side of that door, joining with all the angels and all creation, doing one thing we love most, delighting in the Lamb. Let's pray. Our Heavenly Father, we, we thank you for this vision, we thank you for these songs that remind us of what we're about, of who the Lamb of God is, and what our mission on earth is. Lord, here we are, uh, forgiven, adopted. So send us and help us to change the way we view our lives, our titles, our positions, our roles, our possessions, 
Help them to help us to see them as things that we expend, things that we give away, things that we serve with, rather than things we build our little kingdoms with. So that Lord, we can truly belong to your kingdom, that's forever. Bless us this way, and as we come to your table, remind us of of the one place where our hearts, our souls can truly be fed and satisfied, and that is the table that. That you, your Son, have provided for us. So, Lord, invite us uh, to to drink deeply and eat um, of your mercy and of your grace, and satisfy us this morning. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.